Welcome to the Global Market Outlook 2023 brought to you by RBC Capital Markets. In this audio cast, you'll hear insights from Lindsay Patrick, our Head of Strategic Initiatives and ESG, Vito Sperduto, Co-Head of Global M&A, and Nitin Babar, Global Co-Head of Equity Capital Markets, as they talk about the outlook for ESG in the year ahead. As investors understand where energy comes from today, we have oil, we have gas, we have a variety of wind, solar, and other renewable assets and and energy providers. Uh, The real question for investors is, okay, so carbon capture, these emerging technologies, Mm. who's funding those technologies? Who's funding them now so that they grow into a position where they can be investable for a public company? And that's been the core question. Everybody's very interested in that. You know, a lot of investors have heard about this carbon capture, but who's gonna fund it and make it mature enough that it actually makes sense for a public investor? Is that a governmental? Are there private equity companies that will yeah. do this? And what does that return profile look like? Well, I mean, we're dealing with it right now with several clients where I would say that they have projects. Well, they're more than projects. I mean, they're, they have real businesses inside their overall business that are certainly renewable businesses, different carbon capture businesses, businesses that would fit this lens that they're trying to figure out is it best to stay within my structure mm-hmm. or is it better for my shareholders and the overall group of constituents at this company if it's either valued separately or in the hands of someone else? And so one of the things we're trying to help clients think about is at what stage does it make sense to separate that out? Mm-hmm. And it can be as simple as how do I report this individually in my metrics to show that I'm actually doing this? You know, they're seeing transactions in the public markets at some incredible multiples, whether it's you know IPOs of subsidiaries or, to be honest, acquisitions. And it's producing an interesting dialogue to try to figure out how that gets captured going forward. I think, Nitin, what you've articulated is the concept of energy transition and what projects, what activities and initiatives that don't fit a green framework today because they're not green in and of themselves. They typically are projects that are part of or attached to a high-emitting sector. Now, that can be an energy or power sector. It can be a manufacturing business. It can be an industrial or a transportation business, but ultimately, which helps us achieve the end goal of getting to net zero emissions by 2050. And it's early days, I think, in that front. We are seeing dedicated pools of capital emerge because we understand that we need a different framework for funds of that size, emissions actually, your financed emissions may go up in the near term as you invest in these projects, knowing that the trajectory on the other side might be steeper. Uh, And being very clear that that does have a role in getting to net zero, but doesn't fit our traditional green framework today. And I think as we figure out how to better measure and quantify those benefits, more pools of capital will come that will be dedicated to those particular projects and sectors. And that will support some of the spinoffs, I think, Vito, some of the spinoff opportunity you alluded to. Lindsay, are you seeing these separate pools of capital exist because investors are saying, hey, I need to invest. It's a separate group of investors that want to put dollars to that. Or is it the team at the institutional investor that you know, or the you know, whatever financial sponsor yeah. that's separate, that has to have a different mentality. What's separating that out from the traditional pool? Yeah, so typically what we're seeing is it's the team within the asset manager that sees an opportunity because there's not competing capital right now going after those type of assets. Traditional asset owners, some of the pension funds, foundations of the world, they mostly still want green or positive impact assets. As I think that opportunity set narrows, 
for some of those and the returns dwindle, I do think you will start to see some of that fundamental investor interest aligned to the opportunities that our sponsor and asset manager clients are seeing. I was going to say, there's probably not enough money out there that has a long-term view that can support some of these initiatives. And one of the things we talked about at the beginning was balance, balance and everything. Um, It used to be that those development technologies didn't want money that came from emitters. And now, frankly, emitters are very cash flow rich um, and they're in the best position because they also want to reduce their net Mm -hmm. Uh, contribution to carbon dioxide. Um, uh, And so it feels like there may be a better place for dollars to go into these technologies so that they can go through the the life cycle of technology. Yeah, and I think the, the U.S. Inflation Reduction Act will be incredibly helpful in that regard and will serve to not only pool investor capital, but corporate capital, financial capital from the banking sector, for example, to align and support some of those projects. And it does need, you know, that trifecta of government incentive or or government support, investor support, corporate alignment, particularly if that, if the corporate or the high admitter is also the consumer of the technology on the end at the same time, to be very powerful. And and I'm really excited with, I think, the capital that will flow into this sector following that significant policy. I know that this, this touches all of our clients. And, you know, where I get excited is the fact that there's a group of clients that are very active in this space and there's other clients trying to figure it out. And I think we could bring those clients together to be more successful on a collaborative basis. Mm -hmm. I do think the, as you mentioned, the Inflation Reduction Act tends to be the domino that gets this going, which, you know, we've certainly as a firm positioned ourselves to make sure that we're there to be as supportive to our clients as possible around this. I think 2022 has been a natural but much needed reset of the ESG agenda, where it's not just been ESG for the sake of ESG, but it's been ESG to the extent of how can I derive material benefits, looking at this lens through my business, from doing an M&A transaction or looking through the lens of what targets and alternatives are available for me and what investors I can communicate to. So in in that respect, I'm quite encouraged by the fact that it's a much more authentic agenda. It's a much more material agenda. And frankly, I think it was a reset that was needed. I think M&A is at the core of helping our clients think about their ESG initiatives. You know, in some cases, they're divesting assets that help them better adhere to their ESG principles. And in other cases, they're looking at acquisitions that are going to help supplement what they're already doing organically. And we are definitely seeing an uptick. It's natural, and and I think all the measures are, are there. There's an uptick in terms of the transactions that talk about it, the transactions that are done because of an issue that can be defined as ESG related. Um, and, you know, as a result, certainly there's a premium being paid for companies that will help you and augment your ESG metrics or capabilities. But I was just looking recently at a Boston Consulting Group study that talked about the returns post-integration of these acquisitions, mm. and they are resulting in higher performance and better valuation for the companies that are doing that. And that's natural because I think investors are gravitating towards the companies that are seen as leaders in this area. And if you're executing a proper transaction that is successful from an integration perspective, and it also augments what you're doing from an ESG perspective, you're going to get a greater reward. 
It's an organic discussion now yeah. versus a forced discussion. And I think that every investor um, and, and anybody in a public company recognizes what you just said, and that, that is if you go to the best possible, uh, the highest levels of performance yeah. in, those, in those metrics, in those businesses, we shouldn't even call them metrics, that you will be rewarded with valuation, you attract more investors, yeah. and people like the type of disclosure, and whether it's in emitters, which I think might have been at the leading edge of disclosure around That's this, right. interestingly enough, yeah. um, or those who are now sort of evolving and, and thinking about how their ESG platforms should be represented accurately in the public markets. Lindsay, much like our clients, these are issues that are top of mind for us. Maybe talk a little bit about what RBC is doing on this front. Sure, Vito. It's incredibly important that we bring the lens of the advice that we provide our clients also to our own operations. And with that, in that respect, just a few weeks ago, we released a new sustainable finance framework that detailed with even more transparency how we are approaching sustainable finance. Our stakeholders wanted to know more about what qualifies from sustainable finance. How are we approaching it both from a use of proceeds perspective, so projects that we know have positive green or social outcomes, and then those projects or activities which are financed with KPIs or ESG metrics that are integrated. One of the most important parts of our framework, I think, is in addition to the fact it's incredibly detailed and transparent, one of the most transparent out there, which we think is a really important role for a financial institution to play, is that we think there is a role for high-emitting sectors. Uh, to access the sustainable finance market, and that we are inclusive of those sectors in terms of the financing we provide, ensuring that they meet the rigorous standards that we have set for them, their internal metrics and standards that are specific to RBC, and frame our approach to how we guide clients with best practices so that they then can access the sustainable finance market as well. This content is based on information available at the time it was recorded and is for informational purposes only. It is not an offer to buy or sell or a solicitation, and no recommendations are implied. It is outside the scope of this communication to consider whether it is suitable for you and your financial objectives.